fitness industry that yeah. isn't healthy. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the fitness industry that is not healthy, despite maybe how healthy that person looks in a photo shoot with abs. Yeah. Yeah, not everyone that's got a six-pack of abs is uh, a picture of health. I would say I'd bet more than 50% of them are struggling with their health because it depends what, what, what do you define as health. The thing that we're going to sort of start our conversation around today is the great Charles Poliquin and his influence that he's had on the health and fitness industry um, and we were both fortunate enough to be mentored and um, learn under him. But, yeah, man. Yep. Yeah, I think we were pretty lucky to start off. Uh, you know, when I was first in the industry, you were already in the industry for, you know, four or five years, I say, down mm. Zap, uh, Liverpool Street. But Yeah, wow, well, that's kicking it back. That's kicking it back. Mm. But, um, you know, when I first came here, the PT wasn't as big as what it is now. Um, when you first came to Melbourne, yeah, it wasn't as big. There was there wasn't any of these twenty four seven gyms, or they were just starting at the mm-hmm. time. I think there was maybe a couple of breakout franchises back then, and PT was really like a, a fake job. It wasn't really a, a real job for a lot of people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I moved to Melbourne with Zap when they sort of broke into the mainland scene. Yeah, so that was yeah, that was in like two thousand and thirteen, maybe two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. Yeah, so that's yeah. the time I was starting to get into into the industry. Into the industry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a long time ago, and I think I got hooked on the education side, but the education was hard to come by. So like, I'd see some good coaches or what I thought were good coaches back then, and I was kind of like interested in their results and what they were doing and. You know, what we were learning back then with the, like, food pyramid and stuff like that was kind of the different information to what some of these strength coaches were saying. Hang on, hang on. When were you learning the food pyramid? So, like, that's when, like... Do you mean, like, the typical government food pyramid? That one, back in the day, that used to be massive. What, through the they used to do that personal training certifications? They used to do that. They still do it in personal training certs. The personal training cert, I think that's a... That right there captures how outdated... Yeah. And poor the actual personal training certifications actually are in terms of preparing you for this as a career. Um, like, obviously, there's there's other factors that people often struggle with when they're trying to enter, um, you know, the health and fitness scene as, you know, personal training scene as a typically a fairly, like, you know, desirable and an attractive job and lifestyle to have, being able to sort of set your own hours but, you know, I think people are really baffled when they see that, hey, you don't just have people just throwing themselves at you as soon as the gym doors open. There's a big business side to it. But, you know, even if you can get the clients, the course itself, without any of your own extra and ongoing education, you're going to be pretty limited in the amount of value that you're actually going to be able to deliver to any client. Yeah, 100%. And I've just actually gone through two courses with uh, clients doing courses themselves. And there are some good ones out there, like the clean health one is reasonable from what I've seen, but some of them are downright garbage with some of the exercises. Which like clean health one are they doing? There's a, you can do a PT course, Cert 3 and 4, through clean health now. Yeah, 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 I so did think that. that. That probably would be better than the, the most that are offered out there. I don't necessarily agree with everything that the clean health no. sort of 
Institute push. Um, they're very calorie in, calorie out, um, very Lane Norton driven in yeah. a way, given that he's come on board. Yeah. And, and again, you know, Lane isn't really my guy. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't think he's an extremely intelligent individual that is worthy of listening to and taking, um, you know, pieces of information, education from. It's just you know you got to you got to know how to dissect that a little bit, I guess. Yeah, but uh, I mean, at least they're teaching you how to do a barbell bench press with some good form instead of a bosa ball kickback twist and press. So there's a like there was some garbage on there. So is the clean health actually doing like a physical? Uh, no, I think, I think most of the courses there are all online now. Okay. I don't think you can actually... I don't even know if you can do face... Mm. To, I did mine so long ago. We, I did mine so long ago. It was all face-to-face. Yeah. A couple of days a week, you'd go there and... Um, we were quite lucky back then because we had a couple of like really good powerlifters, a couple of people that were undergrad in uh, like chiropractors, physios. So there was some good people there to learn from, but you know, some of the online stuff today is just horrible when you come into the industry and you've learned nothing and you've got all these complex issues from different body types different eating patterns yo-yo dieting and all these things and you're just not well equipped yeah so when was your what was your first job in the industry was that with um daniel larry no before that i worked at fitness first i wasn't sure if um so your first gig was at fitness first that was tough Hang on. So we've got no fitness first in Tassie. But no, no, this in. was in Melbourne. So you were in Melbourne, then you went back to Tassie. Then I went back to And then came back to Melbourne. Okay, tell me about that story. So started working at fitness first and it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was, back then I was much younger. There was some, it was a very established PT. There was, I worked at Melbourne Central. Melbourne Central had um, a lot of uh, people coming to study from other countries so it was kind of busy half the year quite half another half of the year it was very hard to get good clients do you mean that it was full of a lot of university students university students so they're not really your uh paying customers it's not that they weren't it's just very hard when um there's already a lot of established trainers that specialize with like you know those kind of those kind of clients okay well that's always been the harsh reality of uh I guess big box gyms is that there is no unity. It is you are in a, you know, a pit full of competition. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like just stuff that just wouldn't happen here. Like people don't realize how lucky they are when they get to train or you know get to work in like a place like Jungle because it's a little bit diverse, but everyone's kind of after the same goal, and that is to help people. So, like, things would happen, like, I went away for a little bit, gave a couple of clients to, like, a, a mate of mine, and they were just, he just took the clients, mm-hmm. signed them up. Like That's what I mean. It's very dog-eat-dog in the um, dog. the commercial space. So, what were your strategies to sort of go about trying to obtain a client list when you were in Fitness First in that environment? Uh, you know, I was seeking out, like, mentors and, um, you know, different people to learn off at the time. And I found that the mentors that I was kind of getting were just after me making them money mm. and not vice versa, not actually helping me. I wasn't actually getting any education out of it. It was kind of just like, call these numbers, do this. I'm going to collect half of the money. So it was. you found it very hard to get your clientele going? 
not that it was hard because I feel like I'm good at talking to people, but um, it just wasn't the environment that if I wanted to be great at this, it wasn't the environment that I needed to be. Like I, I knew very early on that I wasn't going to work there for long because, um, if I wanted to be better and grow, I I, I was capped there in a way. So how long did you last there before you ended up back in Tassie? I think about two years. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity that came with Dan Lowry was um, obviously Benny Hamlet was there. Yep. He's doing good things now. He's doing some great different, stuff. Different things. Different stuff. But, yeah. I, but I enjoy watching it. You know, it's going to catch on and it's going to get more and more popular. And I think the more people that are into like hard training and stuff like this, they're always going to come to a 360 and revalue health. And it's going to be a, a big importance. And actually, you know what? I did a trauma course with Amelia on Sunday. How was that? Tell me about that. You know, it's definitely something that I'm not overly keen to start doing and jumping the gun to do it, but it was really insightful. And it's stuff that I, you know, need to become better at because, and it was diving deep into like past traumas, like as you're a child and things that like our parents have done that we might not have realized and then how we're basing stuff and what we're going to do as parents and kind of breaking the molds and Mm -hmm. so it's something i want to do a lot more work on but it's just something that i just haven't done a lot of because i've been the other 360 you know like nutrition bodybuilding that kind of that kind of stuff so i want to kind of as we get better we look at diving into complete the full circle and psychology is under that well yeah i think it's a it's an important thing to have you know, opened up because, and, and I think when the word trauma gets used, it often conjures up images of something really extreme. And there obviously are those kind of cases that exist with certain people, uh, whether that be violence or sexual abuse or those kinds of uh, scenarios. But the reality is, as you mentioned, we all have our traumas. And you listen to probably the best resource, I think, to listen and learn to from um, an understanding on trauma would be, have you heard of Gabor Mate? No. Get into him. He's got um, some really good books and he does a lot of good podcasts and is featured on some really big names as well. So, you know, he, he explains a lot of things, how all your addictions come from trauma and we all have our addictions and um, that even, you know, a baby crying and being left unattended is creating trauma. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's all those minuscule things in life. And as you said, they are what forms your subconscious mind. And we know that there's a physiological response to the psychological response. So if we're constantly living in this state of fight or flight and stress, then obviously that's going to have, you know, a negative cascading sequence of, um, you know, a bunch of things, hormonally, etc., cetera, in, in, in the body, which could become problematic down the line when you know like okay this person may be appearing to do all the right things on the surface level from a nutritional and training and movement point of view but if their psychology is not nurtured and looked after then you know you're probably going to find themselves at a um a bottleneck for their capacity for growth yeah and that's 100 percent it like and it wasn't like traumas like you know sexually assault or you know some sort of thing like that. It was more those smaller things like you touched base on. Mm. Like mum might be earning a lot of money. She might not be home. The baby might be craving love or, you know, some sort of something like that. And then all of a sudden things start to cascade from there. So it was pretty eye-opening to 
see some of that kind of stuff and yeah, just get a bit of a bigger what, picture. What was for their it. sort of takeout message from it? Oh, like we we actually did a bit of breath work there. Oh yeah, cool. And I don't do a lot of that stuff. Something I want. So that was new to you as well. That, that's pretty new to me as well. Yeah. Like if you asked Liam like four years ago if he would have done that, I would have been like, "You're an idiot." There's mm-hmm. no way I'm doing that shit. Yep. Um. And you know, like talking it through and like putting action plans to be a better communicator and things like that can, especially if it's like partner to partner or um, in certain relationships or work, whatever it is, mm-hmm. like be, being a better communicator. And they're all kind of the biggest takeaways out of it, like steps to become a better communicator and just how to kind of meditate to become a better person. Do you do much meditation? Or again, is that sort of in line with the breath work that it's still sort of new things that you're looking to it's not that i'm not doing it i'm doing it in different ways like i've um i meditate at night a little bit with um, mouth tape now oh yeah cool i've been finding that my heart rate is obviously lower i'm sleeping a little bit better which is kind of cool are you tracking all that not 100 percent yet um i just got amelia an aura ring i should have got myself one don't know why i got her one <laughs> um but yeah d- just seeing that data and i'm kind of like oh this data is kind of cool i I'm interested in seeing it now, so it's something I'm definitely going to start looking into a little bit deeper. Mate, it's really cool because, you know, I've obviously got my aura ring and whether it's the aura ring, whether it's uh, the Garmin and I think what's the other one, the Whoop? Yeah, the Whoop. It seems to be pretty popular. Um, I opt for the aura because there's no ongoing subscription fee and I also don't really like wearing a watch in bed. Yeah, that would be annoying. Um, So the, the... wearability of the rings great but you know it's pretty cool to be able to get some objective data on you know the hours of sleep that you've actually had the restfulness um or the restlessness i should say that you've experienced through the night the amount of deep sleep and the amount of rem or lack thereof and you can sort of um you know reflect on your evening routine what were you doing were you on your phone were you watching tv what supplements did you use did that make any changes in those those patterns you're obviously then getting, um, you know, heart rate variability and resting heart rate. So again, two really good metrics to uh, assess recovery there. And then I know that when I see, you know, an elevation from both of those ting- things, or, or sorry, a reduction in heart rate ver- variability and an increase to resting heart rate through the night, that is typically going to occur when I've had poor sleep and poor recovery. And then that gives you the ability to kind of make an intelligent decision on what your approach to training is going to be that day. Because if you've got poor recovery, it's probably not the day you're going to go try and set a PR on your deadlift in the gym or punch out heaps of volume. Maybe it's a day that you should dedicate a little bit more time towards maybe some breath work and some meditation, getting barefoot with the earth, maybe doing some stretching, all of those kinds of things, Um, you know. So, so that you should be able to go harder the next day. Yeah, so you've actually changed your training based off the data that you've got when you when you see the data. Yeah, I have. I've used yeah. it for sure. Yeah, it's because, cool. I mean, we've all got our subjective opinion on yeah. how you're feeling. But, but really, what's that based off? Like, is that also just a story that you're telling yourself because you can't be fucked that day? 100%. Yeah. So it kind of... It, it, it acts as your own lie detector in a way or bullshit detector to tell you whether you are just being a pussy and you need to go hard yeah. and just, you know, suck it up or whether, okay, no, today is actually a day where I'm going to take my foot off the gas and I'm going to do it without feeling guilty 
because that's what my body's actually telling me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to do it. I mean, if you're at the top of the pinnacle of the sports, you're in like an Olympic athlete or a high level cyclist or something, mm. they're going to be tracking that data. Mm. So like, why shouldn't you? Yeah. Really, if you can, if it's that, if it's as simple as wearing a ring and you're getting some reasonable data, mm. and it's going to change your training nutrition. So be it. I think it's well worth it. Yeah, for sure. Mate, I, um, I was listening to, because I know you're a big UFC fan as well. I was listening to a piece with uh, Justin Gaethje and he reckons that on like close to his fight because he's obviously at peak condition that his resting heart rate falls down to nearly 30 beats per minute. As might in been, from fitness? Yeah, might have been at 32 because obviously your resting heart rate is going to be correlated with your cardiovascular health and fitness. So as he's at his peak of his conditioning, his resting heart rate's falling down to like the low 30s. That's fucking That's low. low. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's really low. Like mine mine falls in the low forties, but I'm not exactly a cardio machine either. Yeah. I mean it's yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Like there's a, a big difference in how I feel and like my heart rate and things like that when I'm at my heaviest and compared to like where I'm sitting now. Like this is probably a bit more of a truer weight for me right now. Mm-hmm. About seventy eight, but I've been as heavy as ninety. Which is heavy for you. Heavy for you know, hundred and sixty five centimeters or something. Right now, I'm feeling, you know, minus. I've kind of traded metrics a little bit. Yes, I'm not as big as what I was, but, you know, especially doing a lot of jujitsu with you next door, mm. so much more fitter. Yep. And all my metrics are better, including sleep. And that's without really tracking anything. I just, apart from my Apple Watch, but you can kind of feel, you feel better, your movement's better, mobility's better, breathing's better. Mate, I don't know exactly what you mean. When I, um, you know, I, I sort of haven't been into the, super hypertrophy or bodybuilding type training scene for a few years now but I remember when I was going through a phase of sort of powerlifting and I was pushing up some big numbers yeah you were strong so I was pushing what was I pushing I was pushing like a 250 squat 270 dead and probably a, I think like the best I got was a 195 kilo bench press and I was sitting at about 96 kilos um, but for a period of three months really didn't lift anything probably over five, six reps. Heavy breather, I was snoring, I was getting apnea, um, you know, I'd get puff wiping my ass. Like, there was, you certainly just knew that this is where when we see so much in the fitness industry that isn't healthy. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the fitness industry that is not healthy despite maybe how healthy that person looks in a photo shoot with abs. Yeah. yeah. Not everyone that's got a six-pack of abs is uh, a picture of health. I would say I'd bet more than 50% of them are struggling with their health because it depends what, what, what do you define as health, right? We just talked about psychology. Mm. And I know that when I've been at my biggest and my leanest for a photo shoot and I've had to do some things that are not probably as healthy Oh, well, that, that, that are definitely not probably healthy to get myself into that condition that I was miserable mentally and suffering. Yeah. Well, anything under 10% is not healthy and it's very hard. And it's not attainable for 90% of people. Like, unless you're a very shredded, lean, ectomorphic Ectomorph, yeah. body, you're not really going to hold that. And then, of course, the longer you do it, the more harder it gets. But yeah. how, what, what sort of led you? Because, I mean, 
because um, I know you you've competed in bodybuilding and you've you've coached athletes to the stage, and that for a long time would have been probably your niche. Have, have any has anything specifically changed, or what's sort of been influencing you to sort of start making this shift more towards probably health, wellness, performance? Yeah. So yeah, I've done about. Th- five comps now five serious comps now mm-hmm. probably the Arnold Classic my last Arnold Classic the last one in Australia was probably the pinnacle where I was going the hardest mm-hmm. and I reckon one it took so much out of me to get there mm-hmm. not not that it was hard or anything like that it's just I didn't go off plan for a year I would say no to friends I wouldn't eat meals out I would I was so devoted to that goal mm. for like one day and then it's kind of like what's next but the reason why I got into that and why I started doing the comps was one, because I wanted to be better. So I actually did it, like I was in the industry and I was like, you know, I, I got to be doing, I thought I had to be doing this kind of stuff because if clients come to me and they want fat loss or they want to build a bit of muscle mass or whatever, I need to be showing that I can do it. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I, I probably got some of the, the best skills out of doing it myself, like in the trenches. Um, so I don't regret doing it, but I just, I've now realized that there's a healthy way and then then there's an unhealthy way and I like to be somewhere in the middle like I still like um blends of the hard bodybuilding I've still got a couple of girls dieting really hard at the moment um but overall like my approach now I would say um is catered to anyone but it's just a healthy approach first and then it's kind of like once you've built that base then we can tear off into you know where we need to go I know exactly what you mean, though, by how you said that. I, I had the exact same sort of, you know, train of thought when I was probably 16, 17, starting to sort of, you know, manifest becoming a PT. And then I thought that I had to get massive and shredded. Yeah. And that was the only way that I was going to get the credibility uh, and demand from my clientele. And sure, it helps. It does help. It helps, um, you know, a- as it should. And I think it's really important to be able to, um, genuinely empathize with your clients that are going through those things, which you can only do if you've actually walked in those footsteps. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, and I think for every new upcoming coach out there, I think it is important that it doesn't need to be a competition, but they do show some sort of progress. Whether it's a, a bit of a dieting phase, a bit of a building phase, mm-hmm. they've got a couple of years progress photos. Like the knowledge that they're going to get from that, and getting a cu- good coach or you know someone who's going to mentor them along the way is far more vital than doing cert three and four. Oh, for sure. Who, sure. who was probably your first mentor that really sort of taught you something that you that stuck? Uh, had some good mentors. Like, obviously, Charles Polican was one of them. Mm. Um, he was, he was, was Charles your first step into that direction? Yeah, I would say it was. There Did you find that pretty overwhelming? You know what? At the time, I was like a diehard Polkun fan. So like, and he he would like a lot of his stuff was great, mm. but some of it was also very unrealistic. Like he used to have these rules, like you know, no pissing, no moaning. There was I like that rule. That's a, that's an okay rule, but there was also like, um, if you're not under ten percent body fat, don't get a lick of a prune or whatever he used to say, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then all of a sudden, he would come down and like do these seminars or you'd read a T-Nation article and you'd be like, shit, I'm going to put my clients on uh, meat and nut breakfast, no carbs. And then all of a sudden, like, or just 
stuff like that. Well, he didn't really deal with general population people, did he? And that's he, what he, I mean. He worked with how many Olympians did he coach? Over two hundred Olympic medalists. Huge amount. And I think maybe eight hundred Olympians. And then even we. And like then he got NFL. He got NHL wrestlers. Um, and celebrities. Heaps of people. You know, so but he, he high was level caliber people. Exactly, and people that didn't really have a budget. Yeah. You know, so Poliquin was probably the first first major mentor that you think sort of opened your eyes up to you know how to actually bring value to your clients yeah definitely um for probably the f first four or five years i started really getting into the polkin stuff did you buy print or buy a sig which one i uh, yeah, did both print i did buy we did buy we did print, print together yeah that was a that was a pretty interesting course because that, that was, was four or five days yeah i think four, four or something four that's how long they used to go for back then yeah and keep in mind, they were they weren't cheap either. They were like six what six hundred bucks a day, or yeah. plus the calipers and all that stuff. And yeah. like you don't really get that kind of level of education now. Like he did always say though that Australians were always able to charge a higher price because we, as a nation, seem to put more back into our education in this field than any other country. Yeah. Okay. That's why he loved coming here. Probably, because he made money. Yeah, okay. But, you know, we were going to talk about that, right? So, the bioprint, like, it's... Like, Poliquin's obviously touched so many people Heaps. in the health and fitness industry, and he's done more good than bad. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. He is amazing. But around the time when that was all kicking off hard, like, people used to put it in their Instagrams that they were bioprint and... You know, you basically knew straight away that if you went to that person, they were going to do a 14-site caliper test and based off your biggest folds, they were going to prescribe you uh, a bunch of supplementation which was set up with their wholesale accounts, which we got access to through Polyquin, which was meant to address that specific fat area. And I just... You know, I don't think the people that were even doing it were doing it with bad intentions. They probably felt excited about all these new lessons and stuff. But again, if somebody's at, if somebody's like, let's say a male's at 30% body fat, do you really know what site is particularly an outlier where we could ad adjust their hormones through some sort of supplement protocol? You get what I mean? And it was just, yeah. it was all that tear selling and you just knew that that client was going to be in for a lot of uh, unnecessary expenses. Plus, it's actually hard to caliper someone properly. You need to do, do it, a, it lot. a lot of times. A lot. Like, I reckon I've done it. I still use the software today, but it's getting less and less now. You have to pay for it each year? Yeah, I think it's about 350 We use BioSig. Yeah. I think it's about 350 US. Is BioSig 14 sites, or is that like 12? 12. 12? Yeah, That's okay. the So what's one. missing? The chin or the cheek? No, it doesn't do... The BioPrint uses the lower back, which they call the Australian site. The Australian site, site yeah. The only problem with that site is all the other sites have like a mark, like the quad is in, you know, you had to measure the quad. And yeah. if you have a lot of body fat on the lower back, which could be you know, related to a number of things, that site can change. So it wasn't really a bulletproof site, or I never thought. I always found the hamstring fold a, uh, That's a, hard a one. tough one to get it's consistent. hard one to teach people as well. Yeah. yeah. It is. That was really, really hard. And it could seriously, like, 
you know, blow out somebody's score, which I think gave it almost a bit of an unrealistic reading because someone, you know, it's not that uncommon to find somebody, a female with a body shape where they're actually quite lean all over and yeah. they're just the majority of their body fat is probably due to their, you know, estrogen receptor sites and yeah. whatever is on the hamstring fold and now it's reading that they're probably a lot larger than what they are. Yeah. Well, the software is a bit interesting in itself, like... Uh, it was a formula, like someone, there is a formula to it. Like you can Google it, I'm sure, and you can find who actually wrote the original formula. I so actually Didn't Pollock come up with it? I don't think, I don't know if he actually did or not, but it, it is a formula. I, I put it into a spreadsheet once and it came out exactly the same. Okay. Um, but it calculates the sum 10 and then there's legs on its own. I don't know if this was the old, so the legs have never actually, I don't know if they calculate to the actual overall result because you do the sub 10 and it comes up whatever you enter in the legs, it may be higher or lower. It doesn't seem to change the result too much now, and I think that's probably why. Because what, what, what were some of the sites? It was like triceps and chest was the androgen sites, and typically the recommendations were if they were your higher folds, you'd be looking at things like zinc. Yeah, the, the protocols were pretty big and pretty expensive. Mid-axillary, that over the ribcage there, that was related to thyroid hormone, I think. Suprailiac and the umbilical was to do with cortisol, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Haven't looked at them in ages, but like they used to have like um, when you first got the BioSig book, it came with a, I think it was called a, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing supplement pack, and that was like the basic five. It was like their foundation five. It was so actually what a was good in idea. That? Oh, like fish oil. There was like magnesium. Yeah. There was a zinc. Because um, what were the brands? There was obviously Trilogy. Well, Trilogy came Trilogy later. Trilogy came late, but was there was Designs for Health. US company, Thorn. Thorn's good. Thorn's is still a great company. So, so is Design Cell. They're both great companies. The, the best thing about that course was getting the access to those two. To the wholesale and accounts, yeah. Design Cell Health Australia, TJ approved, very good supplements in Australia right now that mm-hmm. we can get. The problem that we found with, like, and the Polican supplements are great. That Uber Mag that they had when um, Jim Lavelle was making the supplements, I don't know if he still does or, like, I, I don't actually buy a lot of Polican right now. The other um, one was ATP ATP Science, science not ATP Labs. No, it was, sorry, it was ATP, ATP Labs, Labs, not yeah, ATP don't get them Science. Yeah, that's actually a good brand as well. It is. They were expensive though, and hard to get into Australia. Not not hard to get in, but it was just became very expensive by the time because you had to order it from the states. Yeah, or and Canada. That's, that's what killed a lot of people. I think like the shipping was so expensive back then. Yeah, so it was outrageous the shipping. But I think you can still get ATP from a. They store it in Perth somewhere. Maybe it shredded or something like that. So you can't or order shredded it. Shredded was a dip. A polyquin aligned yeah. type gym, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It still is. Yeah. But, but yeah, um, they were good. Even today, if you try to get, uh, if you're on a naturopath, you can't get access to Designs for Health Australia. So I think you need to be either polyquin certified or a naturopath to be able to. Which is really frustrating because they've got some great products. Particularly, I like their liposomal glutathione. Very good, very good product. Yeah. And it's a bit interesting because only like three or four places with naturopaths in there, like like there's a place in Paran that sells designs for health. Mm. Um, but I think like, especially when there's so much junk out there on, that you know, pick up from chemists and stuff like that, mm. we should be probably looking at a bit better quality product and something that's actually going to help rather than like a, a bad quality zinc where you're just itching your red arms because it's just... Who knows what it is. Mm. But even with that, you know, we're talking a lot about supplements at the moment. How many people are jumping the gun 
and worrying about supplementation when they have so many areas for improvement that would have a much greater influence on their outcomes and well-being oh, than yeah. using a supplement. Well, I don't think it's as bad as what it was when Poliquin first came around. Yeah. You do a caliper course for like six days, you get access to these supplements, you get told that you can make X amount selling supplements and you're going, okay, cool. Pinch, 30%, you need X, Y, and Z, da, 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 there's $800 worth of subs and bang, off you go. And it's like, you missed steps one. This is like a 2% thing, you know. I you missed steps one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I remember because we were all in that room and we all had tops off and everyone's calipering each other and then we got a bit of a reading from people and, you know, I always fancy myself someone who was in reasonable condition. And you were, yeah. And I've, and someone gave me a reading of like 16%. And I, I asked Charles, I was like, what do you think about that? Do you reckon that's right? And he sort of just looked me up and down and goes, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's cold. He was cold. There was a couple of people like with abs in that class that got, like I think there was a guy there, I was with a guy from Fitness First there. He was like, you know, at the time he's like a model, like shredded. He got measured at like 22%. It's like, what is 6%? What is well, 8%? Well, that highlights just A, probably the uh, 14 sites, and B, the skill it actually takes to do calipers. Yeah. Yeah. If someone's over it roughly, like if I eyeball them and they're roughly over 20%, there's no point them. even calipering them. It's too hard. There's too much variable as well. Way too much. Hydration even alone will affect that massively. Yeah. And you notice on the calipers that the needle moves and then it moves and then it moves. So you've got to have that experience to know. Because of the fascia. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like the only time I do it now is when someone's really lean. Like I've got a couple of, got two female competitors still. Um, they're competing. Mm-hmm. And it's just good. The only thing I'm using it for is, okay, week one, they're at sub 10 is at um, 80 mils. Their quads and hams are at, 36 i need to get it down to x mm-hmm. i'm just that's all i'm using it for i'm not really using it for shit you need a detoxification protocol or you need a because we can fix that with food as as the journey goes along they're going to get healthier and healthier and healthier through nutrition for sure yeah what did you think of his training methods name some particularly he, he was a fan of german volume training wasn't he yeah, so like he had some big systems back in the day and a lot of people were using him and he'd go like, he'd obviously have his GPP, he'd go like um, 12, 10, 8, 8 and it would all be indicator lifts. So the systems that he used were like, can you squat? If not, okay, you're going to get you there by doing split squats and you know all that kind of stuff. So like rebuilding you back up. Then if you could and you had a good squat, it's like 12, 10, 8, 8, 8, 8, 6, 6, 4, 4, you know, 7, 5, 3, 7, 5, 3, wave loading, that kind of stuff. And the way he would do it was he'd have like um, two lowers, two uppers, and there might be like a bench day um, where you're flat benching and the other day would be um, shoulder press where you'd change the degrees to like 90 from flat to 90. So it's reasonably good for strength athletes. And I think for females, he had like a lot of GBCs into like five times six to eight and things like that. So I think they were reasonably good back then. Um, and I think 
probably the best thing about the people that did the polyquin courses as to those who didn't was I would see that the clients were training harder. The ones that... Say like the coach did the polyquin courses, he trained harder, therefore his clients trained harder, therefore they got better results. And you can't take that away. Like you can put all the question marks you want next to Poliquin's training methods, but at the end of the day, he got the results. Yeah. And, and that I think, you know, that was something I really admired about him was that he, you know, that the people love to use the term like science-based, but, you know, or evidence-based or whatever they want to chalk it up to. But he, he was never restricted by it because he sort of, he was one of the first people that sort of gave you the insights into explaining the timeline of how long it takes for research to actually come out and how far behind yeah. the most recent data some of that research actually was and that if he you know he would cop criticism for certain training methodologies or even sort of nutritional protocols from um, other people and then he went on and made you know Olympic gold with those athletes and then you know 15 years later the science comes out and supports what he was actually saying all along well the fitness industry worldwide is actually one of the poorest um, or the worst uh, researched industry so even when we look at it's like the wild wild west really it's horrendous and like well, we've just talked about the, the the entry into the industry to become a qualified trainer is fucking dog balls yeah and like if you're into your science and stuff like that and you're looking up like research papers and like you know a lot of um, like PubMed. Yeah, like things like that. And a lot of um, research papers put together so there's like, a, like one big meta. There's only there's not many out there for us to really review. And like a lot of them are done on runners or, you know, endurance athletes like, you know, with sodium, you know, whatever, right? Like there's not actually a lot done in the gym because there's a lot of variables. Mm. There's a couple of good studies that you can like that where they only do the right leg on the leg extension and, you know, they're, they're testing certain things, but I don't know if it's always going to be this way. I'm sure it's getting better, but it is hard to get the research now. Do you like um, EMG data? Yeah, but I don't, I haven't looked too much into it. Like, I don't... Yeah. The machines? Yeah, 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 where you're me- measuring the um, neuromuscular activation of yeah. an exercise. Yeah, they're expensive, aren't they? I think I so. There's I one in Australia, isn't there? One or two? Or is there more? Oh, no, I, don't, I think they are expensive, but it, nothing crazy. It's not like, you know, buying a DEXA. It's buying, like, it'd be, it'd cost you a few thousand dollars, but we'd be able to get one and play with it from here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know too much about them. I have seen um, the guys from N1, they've been using them a lot on, like, different lat exercises and what gets uh, the more, most lat recruitment. Mm. And it is pretty interesting on, you know, like, because I've seen that data, I've actually changed from doing a lot of lap pull-downs to like chest-supportable lap pull-downs. Yeah, okay. So uh, that, that you sort of beat me to the punch there. I was going to ask you from what you've learned or gained insight from there, what, what surprised you? About what they've done with exercises? Yeah, of what you thought was maybe a superior exercise and then the EMG data has shown you there's something, something otherwise. Yeah, well, I think... Um, one of the bad things about, like, say, just I'm going to rewind a little bit, going back to like the that like Polican style of training. Like, if you were a Polican coach, you had the when a lady came in and she's like, "Hey, I want to grow big glutes," and you're like, "Okay, cool." Twelve, ten, eight, eight, two leg days, two upper body days, one arm day, or maybe you know something like that. 
squats the indicator lift. Whereas now, like, fast forward to now, it's like, what do you want? Chat to them about that. Dig a little bit deeper. Find out what they actually want. And then you can build a program around what they actually want instead of having like a, a plug and play kind of, this is the rep range, this is the template, this is the structure, this is how it's going to be. Because I'm talking to X and she wants to grow glutes. Mm. I can start with the RDL, which is the lengthen position. Then I, oh, let's go quads to start with. I can start with like a, a pendulum squat or a barbell squat. I can do uh, a mid-lengthen position like a Bulgarian split squat or a lunge. And then I can do shortened position like leg extension, vice versa with glutes, right? You know, like RDL, lunge, hip thrust. Or but then I can also reverse that if I wanted to and go... Shortest position first. Shortest position first. I was going to ask you that. I was like, do, do you have a preference here in which order you go in or a method that you follow? Because I've personally typically gone shorter first. I, I don't think it matters, but I, it, I have gone usually shorter first. Yeah, so the research states that the lengthened position is slightly better. For hypertrophy. For hypertrophy. Agreed. But it's very little. It also causes a little bit more DOMS. Correct. So typically, if you are starting a program and you, and they do need to get them stronger, you probably would start with the hardest exercise first. Um, so if it was like that, a squat, an RDL. But a lot of my stuff is very fatiguing. So I actually like to start with a shortened position first and work up to some of those harder movements. And I find it a good way to... Um, get the body ready for that movement. Sometimes when I jump into like a heavy RDL or... Yeah, I can't go straight into something that, that stretched because I'm not warmed up. I don't have blood in the tissue. And I do find that, you know, on the... Obviously, we're weakest in our extremities of long and short. Yeah. But the shortest being weakest. Shorter a muscle gets, the weaker it becomes. Yeah. And that the shorter the muscle becomes because the bigger the con contraction, the greater the neuromuscular activation. Yeah. So when we're looking at people, I let's think of glutes. Okay, glutes is probably the prime example. Yeah, a lot of people struggle to feel their glutes, to yeah. coordinate their glutes. They can't contract their glutes individually or even together sometimes. It's actually so a much harder if, exercise to do as well. Exactly. So if you're going straight into something that's meant to be working the glutes in a mid to lengthened range, but you've got no neuromuscular coordination, no mind muscle connection with it, then prefacing that with some maybe even longer isometric contractions is probably going to be an advantageous strategy for that kind of individual if they're quite amateur in their training maturity and age. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, I think it's... Um, as they get a bit more advanced, I think you need to be a bit more wary of where you're putting things and have a bit more direction in what you're doing, especially for some beginner or, like, a, a newbie to the gym. Um hip thrust last or first, they're going to get good results regardless because they they are that newbie. They are so they got all stimulus. those newbie gains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've s skipped past. You've gone from fitness first. I want to go back to Go Team Training because I want to hear about how you got fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you mind pissing off a few of your old employers today? No, nah, not really. <laughs> nah. <laughs> not yet to have to think about that for a second. Um, I'm just more asking so I can manage my questions. At the, at the like, obviously they're probably the the pioneers down there in Hobart. They're doing some great stuff down there. They do have a, a very good gym down there. And Daniel um, Lowry was one of the first people who actually put me on a good path there. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
the amount of people that he's probably helped down there, like I, I don't think he gets enough credit for what actual work he's done down there. Yep. And even with little things like if you've got, you know, this really good gym and, you know, lots of clients and all this stuff, like it makes other people rise up as well. So with him doing that, it's actually made the whole of Tassie better. Um, but yeah, it was, and at the time it was probably the wrong gym for me. I was getting into the bodybuilding stuff and it was like a group training it wasn't thing his, there. It wasn't, the it wasn't what yet. it is It now. was a group training facility. Correct. I reckon if yeah. in reverse, if I was there now, Different like, story. I'd be, it'd be a different story. And you were also very young. Uh, and I was, yeah, like, we were well, causing were a bit of mischief around. down there. Yeah. It wasn't as serious as what I am now, but... And you were mucking around with Benny Hamlet, who you mentioned, and also Rob Wilkinson, who's actually now the PFL world champion, and is it middleweight? Yeah, uh, light heavyweight. Light heavyweight champion of the world, and just beat, um, is it Diego Santos? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. you know, he's taking scalps, and it's been good to... Uh, Watch his upbringing, but yeah, regardless, you guys were fucking around back then. So I think um, I'm I'm going up to Rob and I'm going, let's grab the roller. Ben's in the toilet, let's freaking ram him with it. <laughs> Jim was shut, so he's in the like urinal, <laughs> and we just ram him with his roller. And did he I'm fall d- into the urinal? Oh, I can't quite remember to be honest, but it was funny. I was absolutely laughing. Mm. No one was there. Jim was shut. Um, cameras were on though, but the cameras were on. Mm. So you've got to be careful of those cameras. Um, See, Big Brother's always watching, huh? Yeah. So, um, obviously, no one like takes a stand for that. That was very dumb. It was a very stupid thing to do. Did Hamlet get in trouble or just you? He didn't do anything. He, he, he got rammed, I suppose. It he got rammed. It wasn't really um, his fault, was it? Yeah, so it wasn't really his fault. But um, we just caused absolute mischief down there as well. But um, So, that was the end of your time at Go Team? Yeah. So, I knew that I... Um, I still knew that I wanted to do it and I hadn't quite hit the surface. But also, the, like, it wasn't probably my preferred clientele down there. Like the clientele that I have here. No, that's exactly why I left. Yeah, like it's... The opportunity just doesn't we exist. We got some killers like here that I would have never had the opportunity to train down there. Or I might have trained a couple, but it's not like, you know, who we have today. So I knew I kind of wanted more and um, I got a lot of... You know, there was a lot of education and stuff there, but I knew I wanted more. I knew I wanted to do more courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I was just hanging out with the wrong people and the wrong crowds, and I was just kind of spinning my wheels a little bit down there. I get it. So I it was, was actually uh, the, probably the best thing for me. It was, it was a good place to grow up if you liked trouble. Yeah. You know, being a small town. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, so when did you find yourself at Enterprise? Um, I knew a girl called uh, Jazz. She told me about this place. She used to train at Fitness First. She's um like a Insta model slash trainer, and um yeah, I was kind of interested in what they were doing, and they were doing some cool stuff. And I was into the Poliquin stuff, and so were they. That's when they love the Poliquin stuff. Yeah, yeah. Po- like they, they. That's that's what they're still to this day. It's that's what they preach. It's a Polquin with a bit of a twist and they've kind of made it into their own little thing and they've ran with it and yeah, good on them. Yeah. Yeah, so I worked there for about six years um, until I just wanted something a little bit more and uh, was willing to take a bit more of a risk and um, that's why I came here and to be honest, um, probably the probably one of the better decisions that I've done coming here because it's um, 
a little bit more higher end and a little bit more diverse. So like, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, I came in and like, there's some good coaches here at the time when I first started here. And um, yeah, like Strini, like uh, Jacob Strini, so a trainer that works at Jungle, um, you know, and he was having a, and he was shredded and he was eating like a high fat diet. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. And, you know, his training was a little bit different and it was probably the opposite of Poliquin. And I was like, okay, so, and, you know, he spoke very well and he had a different uh, thought pattern to what I had. And so, like, yeah, I was happy that, um, and that's probably why I've kind of changed a little bit and I've gone that, um, you know, really healthy approach. And I feel like since I've done that, some of my bigger results, like you've seen uh, Scotty, um, you know, he's lifting you know, like 340 on the, the power squat machine and he's got some good transformations, but it's kind of been effortless. Yeah. Whereas before, sometimes with that like Poliquin method, you'd kind of have to grind a little bit. Um, I kind of know what you mean, man. Like I, I like to say this to people is that everybody, everybody sits under this assumption that if you lose weight, you're then going to become healthy. And that is true. If we looked at your blood, Markers and your labs. There's probably if some you, If you lost some weight, even if you did it in not necessarily a healthier way, we'll probably see improvements on your blood markers. But how are we looking at other um, areas of feedback in terms of wellness and mood and vitality and sex drive and digestion yeah. and all of those kinds of things? Obviously, you know, it's a much bigger picture. But if you just prioritise being healthy, it becomes, you know, building muscle and burning fat becomes a lot easier because the body's not under stress. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Strini, you done for the day? Oh, I got a bit of admin. I'm gonna train. We were just talking about you. Yeah. Mm. Big patties. No, 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 no. Just for the record, the first time I came in here, the very first day, he was eating three beef burgers. Yeah, come in, here, Uncle. <laughs> and I thought he had cheese in it. Oh, he was butter though, yeah. But it was butter, and I'm like, bulk butter. Mate, four forty-five, and you got these three burgers and and um, cheese. I'm like, is that nice? I'm like. He's like, no, this is, um, what are the Hagen's burgers? I've just had a blank. The, the marrow ones? Bone marrow burgers? Yeah. He's like, no, these are bone marrow burgers with butter. And I'm just going, shit, how much butter's on this? No, I remember he was actually almost eating 200 grams of fat a day, day so he's for a while, which is the highest fat intake I've ever heard huge of amount. anybody. So he's obviously got good, uh, you know, no biliary issues. He's obviously producing... Plenty of bile. I'm guessing he didn't start at that as well. He built that up slowly. Yeah, I suppose. But he was having, what, two tubs of butter is what, 4,500-odd calories, and he's having a lot more than that. Like, But you look at him, he's pretty shredded. He is. He is shredded. So it's like... And he hasn't always been that way either. Like, there are guys that are just shredded that have always been shredded. Yeah. But he he was actually a a, a sort of a bit chubbier back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, back to the jungle. The thing that probably the difference about here than other places is um everyone's a diehard health fanatic or trainer. Whereas at other places that I worked it was kind of for some people it was kind of just a job and you could see it like it was you know, session in, okay, get out next in, okay, get out, mm-hmm. paycheck, that's it. They didn't really wanna, you know, have their stamp on the world or go out there and, and crush it and be the best and so yeah that's probably the the biggest thing that I probably noticed and yeah 
definitely paid off. Has your, like, since, because I, like, I mentioned it before, you're a mixed martial arts fan. Yeah. Uh, and you enjoy the UFC, and we often converse on upcoming events and so forth. Uh, and, you know, I'm really grateful that uh, not long after I established Jungle HQ that the Melbourne Jiu-Jitsu Academy and Ivan uh, moved in next door after relocating, which has been super convenient. And since, you know, over the last, I don't know, six, six to 12 months maybe, you've sort of started to find your way um, into, into the Jiu-Jitsu Academy and have been training there. How have you found that as an experience in, I suppose, a few ways? A, with all, you know, because we do, AKA the boulder, Liam, AKA the boulder, you know, very thick body type, very strong, uh, very powerful. How have you found that either A, beneficial, or B, useless, next door? And has jiu-jitsu in itself influenced and changed the way that you're looking at your own training, programming, exercise selections going forward? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, funnily enough, I've, um, well, when I first got into fighting and jiu-jitsu, it was actually going to GTT because... They had like Studer, Rob, Khan, all these awesome high-level fighters. Mm. So I kind of started watching them train and, you know, all this stuff and training with them. And, you know, I started liking the idea of it, but they were the only guys I knew down there. And the only place – and I didn't want to, you know, learn with those guys because I would have just got hammered. So mm. I started watching it and getting more into it and more into it. And, um, yeah, th- when I obviously came here, I still hadn't done any, but I was always looking at it. I wanted to do it. I was – you know, I could – name every UFC fighter, probably half their stats. Mm-hmm. And then you started doing it, and then I started doing it, and now it's really taken off. So I'm doing four um, jiu-jitsu sessions a week, and I'm doing four training sessions in the gym, four to five. But funnily enough, I've actually converted back to a bit more of a Poliquin method, really. In or terms he's strength-based. Strength-based. Strength yeah. Which before place, I would right? never do that. And I hated, I didn't really like the systems back then, unless you were an athlete. Yes. So what I found was with the systems, back in the day, all these coaches were given client Jenny who would come in off the streets, uh, 12, 10, 8, 8, GPP, into a triceps, into an 8, 8, 6, 6. And by the end of it, she's doing two reps with 40 kilos on the bar and it's not doing anything. Whereas... What I like to do with those kind of guys is like a high rep, more skill equation, work on what they wanted to do. And I'd find it wouldn't matter because over time they would be getting much stronger. Mm-hmm. Even my strongest girls now rarely do high, uh, low rep phases. And I'm talking anything under six to eight. Um, and it's just like obviously some of the girls have put on some crazy muscle mass, but they train for that way. Um, I I've only just started taking on a few guys for strength and I've kind of been going back to these methods but putting a bit more... To what you're keeping your volume a little bit lower? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just based on what they need to do. So, like, instead of just giving them a plug-and-play program, you know, upper, lower, upper, lower, it's like, okay, like, let's analyse their game, let's see what they're doing and then let's go from there and... Yeah, like yeah, but not about your clients, but about you, though. What, what are oh. you, how are you finding... Like when, you, when you've gone into jiu-jitsu, have you found all your years of training and the way that you've trained, which has been very hypertrophy and bodybuilder-focused, yeah, 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 okay, how, have you, how have you found 
that that those years of experience to have served you as a benefit and b negatively in the jujitsu world no i think it's all positive to be honest like really? just like yourself i had some i had some big lifts so like th- they weren't as impressive as yours but like i used to deadlift 220 for reps i squatted like 180 or 190 you'd lift far more than i would now though oh maybe um so like i wasn't by any means weak i just hadn't done like when i was doing the polyquin training back in the day that's when i had a lot of little niggly injuries mm. when i stepped away from that and i started training with a few bodybuilding coaches um and i've trained with you know like we did the john meadows seminar like you know well that was hosted at my that old was hosted gym. at your old gym <laughs> yeah but I, tr- I was doing that's when i was doing my competition so i hadn't really done any big blocks of strength training for a while and i just felt better which is interesting because i now know that the higher rep stuff can accumulate more fatigue as opposed to like doing your heavy heavy deadlifts being having some cns fatigue for like what 30 minutes and then kind of moving on with the day mm. but i just generally felt better when i first moved over there went into a couple of classes i started doing the lunchtime classes with you the no gi ones that's what i kind of liked it was you know just better mm. um didn't have to wear the gi that i wasn't really too fond on wearing this big white suit um now i actually love the gi um but i was just throwing people around and I could get out of a lot of things because, like, my traps were bigger than the average, and people you found are it very hard, hard to, to choke. choke me. And you know, I was just getting caught in silly things. Like, I'd leave my hand down, I'd get caught in a triangle, or I'd leave my arm out, and I'd get caught in an arm bar. But fast forward, what I've been going, it's been about a probably close to a year now. I think mm-hmm. I've done about sixty classes, mm-hmm. probably. I'm not. I roll with like the purple or the the better blue belts, and like I may get caught with something silly, but it's a mistake of mine. But now I've kind of corrected those, so I'm at the level now where I'm kind of not getting submitted. I may get a submission. I may not get a submission. Do you have any thoughts about like mobility and things like that though? And does it ever sort of come to your head like going, okay, you know, here here's where I'm maybe struggling a little bit in my jujitsu. If I applied a little bit more of this style of training, it would complement me on the ju- on the jujitsu mat. Do you have any intentions to incorporate more jujitsu specific uh, strength and conditioning exercises into your training, or are you happy just keeping them pretty separate? No, I'm keeping it pretty separate right now. The only things that I'm doing a little bit extra of is just um, ankle dorsiflexion mobility, mm-hmm. and I will incorporate some knee stuff, obviously because I've seen some injuries. Um, you know, like Peterson leg press, Polkin step ups. I'm doing some like um, explosive single leg jumps from some plyometric work. Some pl- little bit of plyometric work, but I think that's the that's the money in the bank. Plyometrics when you're looking at um, you know combat sports or a- any sport in general, really. Plyometrics is going to be money in the bank. Yeah, hundred percent. The way I look at jujitsu is like um, when I look into when I go to like next door or you know anywhere i kind of look at the bodies and i go okay cool this is who i'm up against now and like i know my strengths so i'm like this is a puzzle they need to figure out and i'll just go as hard as i can at the start try and get in a good position and then kind of just work my way from there Mm. but i don't think it's you look at the best guys like i mean a couple of guys like gordon ryan is he's he trains like a bodybuilder he does but gordon ryan i also think is a bit fucking dumb well, some of the the exercises he do does is 
horrendous. And, and his and his attempt at training like a bodybuilder is poor. He's very poor. Technique is horrible. But yeah, I think his missus is his coach or something. Yeah, and she's a bodybuilder. But like, look at his body type to like Craig Jones's body type. Craig Jones is uh, still a big guy, mm. but he's also a bit more tall and lankier. Yeah, he's got probably a bit of leverage just by being longer. And so his, his game, his th- these two games are going to be different. So they're different puzzles. If I was going up against them, I'm looking at the body type and going... From all reports, though, Craig is remarkably strong. Remarkably strong. Like even... Like um, grip strength or... Yeah, just in, in general, what it feels like, his pressure, compared to even um, Nicky Rodriguez. Yeah. Which you would assume, looking at him, he's you think he's going to be stronger. But people that roll with both often just say that Craig actually has the strength. That's what I've seen on the B team's fucking YouTube channel anyway. Well, he's got the strength, but like he's also taller. So I'm guessing when he does go for like a body triangle or something, that there may be some holes. And Well, it's interesting, right? Like what I've observed is tall people even in the gym are going to have advantages over me with things like hamstring curl. Anything that's yeah. like leverage, right? But if and you'd be experiencing the same thing, but if you put me into something that's going to be a pressing movement, like a leg press or a bench press, I'm going to smash that person with long arms. Yeah, yeah, easily. You know, but I often might not perform as well in something like a curl if we were competing against one another because of the difference in body shape. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to change my training because part of me still loves bodybuilding. I don't know if I'm, I'm s- probably going to do one more competition. Oh, you are? Potentially. Mm. I don't know, okay. maybe like a couple of years. Yeah. The last comp I did, I came like fourth, but I went to like Cairns and Sydney for like yeah, four you weren't weeks taking before. It that seriously. I wasn't taking it seriously. Like I was eating pizzas and I probably want to maybe do one more serious one as like a send-off. But like right now, I'm just focused on, I want to get to like a blue belt, like a high-level blue belt. Um, Good girl. That's my biggest goal right now, whether that takes... Two years, three years, five years. I'm not. I'm not too worried about that. I'm. I'm just worried about getting better. Yep. And maintaining a level of a good level of muscle mass and strength in the gym. Probably my two biggest goals at the moment. Gotta eat. Got well. Did you see strips the weight? Yeah, I was like when I first started. I was 85, and I'm about 78 right now. And my calories have been around 3,000. They haven't really. There's been a few big night, like few big days in there as well, where I've really pushed calories as well. Like it's not like I'm eating nothing. Yep. And that's probably the biggest thing I found with a lot of the guys over there. They just don't eat enough. No, Ivan was just in there before smoking down food before we came in here and started recording, saying that he's still not eating enough, and he thought he was. No, I don't. I don't just like it's not like PT where we can do a session and kind of we're burning some calories. You know, we might pick up a few weights. We might. Help here and there, but but you still don't burn that many calories working out. Not unless you're on the mats in general. But there is something about, or just cardio in general, really. Strips muscle tissue. Yeah. Man, we've been pretty civilized. I thought we were going to be poking fun at each other a little bit more today, yeah, but maybe we'll have to wait till uh, the the co-host Mikael was in, as he's usually the good instigator for a bit of shit talk. So. He will tear shreds off me. He will tear shreds off you for sure. But um, I can't wait. Either way, thanks for uh, giving me your time to do the episode, guys. And um, where can people find you? Uh, Instagram, Liam underscore fits. Cool. And you will find him here in Jungle. So if you want to train with him, hit him up or talk to me directly and we will tee it up for you. Thanks, guys.